Welcome to Time Out Bulls, driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the redesigned Lexus RX. I'm your host, Chuck Swirsky. Well, today on Time Out Bulls uh, with Chuck Swirsky, we're going to uh, highlight uh, the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, Fred Hoiberg. And we got a lot of things, Coach, that I want to cover in our short period of time. But let's start with the beginning, Ames, Iowa. For someone who has never been to Ames, describe the town. Well, Ames, Iowa, it's a true college town, Chuck. It, uh, uh, you know, it's a population of about 60,000, uh, half, half of which are students. And uh, it's, uh, it's a very passionate community, uh, very, uh, very passionate about their university and their sports. Uh, I was very fortunate as a kid. My father was a professor, <clears throat> and we lived about four blocks from campus. He used to walk to work uh, in the morning, and uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to have friends whose uh, parents were in the athletic department. Uh, and early on in my life, I, I was a ball boy for both the football and basketball programs, and I developed a tremendous passion uh, for Iowa State University in, in their sports programs. And you know, one day dreamed about you know maybe playing uh, for one of those teams. Uh, he got that opportunity to, uh, to play for, for Johnny Orr, who was really a larger-than-life figure uh, in that community. He uh, you know, was a guy, when he came in from the University of Michigan, where he was the all-time winningest coach, and came to a program that had been struggling. And uh, you know, Johnny really put that program on the map. And just to watch him play uh, an exciting style, an exciting brand of basketball, where the uh, team was getting up and down the floor and, and playing transition basketball, uh, was a lot of fun to watch and, and to be a part of that program uh, in my college career uh, really was a dream come true for me just because growing up in that community and the passion and the people that supported me my whole life uh, when I was in high school were the same people that were cheering for me uh, in my college experience so uh, just a, just a great community still very supportive and uh, you know it's always fun to go back home. Yeah I wanted to talk about your dad and mom for that matter for a moment but I, re I remember Johnny Orr took Michigan to the national championship game in 76, lost to the unbeaten Indiana ball club. And then about three years later, gets this offer to go to Iowa State, got a huge offer at the time. I mean, it was crazy. And I remember I was talking to Bill Frieder, who succeeded him at Michigan. He said he got this offer, Chuck, from Iowa State. And he told me what they were offering. He goes, you got to go. Well, the funny thing, they, they called Johnny and uh, they wanted to inquire about Freer and, you know, ask him if uh, he thought that he would be a good coach for Iowa State. And Johnny said, well, what are you offering? And when they told him the number, he said, hell, I'll take it. And, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, that's how that whole thing went down. That's how Johnny became coach of Iowa State. And, and then when he would come on the floor prior to the ball game, here's Johnny for the Tonight Show, right, with Johnny Carson. Yeah, it was funny, too, because you'd always see the other team, you know, you're going through your warm-ups and doing the layups, and everybody would stop and turn around and watch him uh, <laughs> walk in, and he'd sprint down the sideline, and he'd, he'd hit everybody on the scorer's table, and and run down pumping his fist and shaking uh, shaking the other team uh, coach's hand and yeah it, it was uh, he, he was great he was he was definitely an entertainer so so let's get back to your dad for a second coach he's a professor at Iowa State um, what was that experience like? Did you ever have him, by the way? Uh, I never had him for class. He, he was a rural sociologist, and uh, my mother was an elementary school teacher, so I grew up, obviously, in a family of educators. And uh, my dad, later in his career at Iowa State, became the associate dean of the Agriculture College, mm. uh, and then actually retired, and then uh, took, uh, took a, a, a part-time job 
as, as the associate provost uh, of the university. So he, uh, yeah, he wore several hats. And, uh, you know, I, the fun thing for me, Chuck, is, you know, when we used to go around and, you know, in college, you all, all the coaches hop on an RV and we go around the state and we talk to the fan bases. Uh, pretty cool experience. Uh, just the number of people that would come up to me and let me know the type of impact that my dad had in their lives. And, and that's really cool. It's, it's cool to hear all that. And, uh, you know, he, he was great. He was, he was a great professor, wrote several books. Uh, like I said, was, was the, the associate dean of the Agriculture College and had, had numerous students where he was their advisor. Uh, and yeah, so, so to, to hear about the impact that my father had on people's lives is pretty cool. Did he push you into sports or your mom? Or did they say, listen, you know what? If this is your thing, this is your thing. If you want to play, great. If not, that's cool. Yeah, not, not at all. They, they, you know, my, my mom actually was, was the athlete. She was, uh, she was a diver uh, in, in, uh, in high school. Uh, her father, so my, my maternal grandfather, uh, Jerry Bush, is on the all-century team at the University of St. John's in New York. And then he went on to coach at Toledo after a 10-year uh, career in the NBL, played for the Fort Wayne Zollner Pistons, and then uh, finished his career uh, coaching at the University of Nebraska. And that's how my family got to the Midwest. Um, both parents went to the University of Nebraska. Both uh, my, my dad got his Ph.D. there. Uh, and then when he got job offers, actually kind of ironic, he got one at Lawrence, Kansas, and one, one in Ames, Iowa. So, you know, he had that decision to make, and I'm grateful that he took, took, took the right one and, and moved, our, moved our family to Ames. But... Uh, I actually, when it came down to my visits uh, to where I was going to go uh, to college, and uh, yeah, I took one to Stanford. That was mm-hmm. our first visit. Mike Montgomery was the coach, and that's actually where my dad said I needed to go to school, being an educator. He said, hey, you know, who knows? It's such a small percentage of college athletes make it to the next level. He said, if you go to Stanford and get your degree, uh, you know, your future's going to be pretty well set up. Uh, you know, I as most kids, I didn't listen at that point. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that, that, I, that I made a great choice. I want to talk about academics for a moment because you were, and help me out here, Coach, you were inducted into the, what, the COSIDA Academic All-American Hall of Fame. And you're a good student. We know that, obviously, by that induction. As a player, when you were at Iowa State, and maybe academia came easy for you. I don't know if easy is the right word to describe it. How difficult especially when you were the head coach at Iowa State, how difficult is it for a student athlete, quote unquote, to go to class, study, get tutors, play games, go to practice? How did you balance that? Well, uh, you know, again, I, I was fortunate to have uh, have my, my parents, you know, set a very good example for me at an early age. And, and they made me, you know, they set my priorities straight uh, at a very early age where, you know, I had a love for athletics, uh, you know, as, as a lot of kids do. And you know, that's what I wanted to do after school was go play sports, but I couldn't do it until I got my work done, my schoolwork. Uh, you know, so early on they instilled that discipline in me, uh, and it stuck with me. Uh, you know, throughout my college career, uh, my last uh, year I did an internship with a stock brokerage firm in the summer, and uh, that gave me six hours. Uh, and then I took 21 credits my last semester. So 21, 21. So it was a heck of a load. But you know, a couple of the classes and my finance, I had a finance degree were very easy because of that internship that uh, that I took. So what was it, your favorite class? Uh, you know, I, I really liked uh, the, uh, the the financial uh, classes, uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, t- talking about the stocks and the bonds and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed uh, that part of the, you know, when I took my series seven exam, you know, I really enjoyed that part of it and the numbers and everything. So, uh, you know, the, the, those finance courses uh, were uh, were my favorites. Uh, I also like golf class that I got to take my last semester as well. Uh, but <laughs> that yeah, helps. Yeah, that does help. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, a- again, for, 
you know, for what I'm doing now, you know, to, to get those real life experiences, uh, you know, was, was very important, uh, you know, for what I did in college when you go out and speak to groups and do all those types of things. Uh, you know, when I spent time in, in the front office and with the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, you know, I had a very uh, important part in, in that organization with the salary cap and managing that. And, uh, you know, so to have that financial background is very helpful. As a head coach, when you would bring in a recruit and talk about academics, um, did they absorb that because you came from that background or is it really difficult to reach a kid about academics? Well, yeah, I mean, most of them that go to a, a high major program, they got one thing in their mind and that's playing in the NBA. Because everyone thinks they're going to the NBA. Everybody thinks they're playing in the NBA and, you know, you just, you talk Even to Even the 12th man. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that, that's what they're told and, you know, they have such a sense of entitlement now with, with these AU programs. A lot of them they play for, there's some really good ones. Uh, but there's some that just really don't uh, instill the good habits in, in the kids and, and, and give them uh, poor advice. But, uh, you know, you, you, you try to get the good ones and, uh, you know, you, you, you put a structure in place. You hope your, your older players uh, set the tone and the culture and, and get those guys to buy into what, to what they're supposed to be doing. Fred, let, let's go back. Let's say you're 10 years old, 12 years old. You're in the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, somewhere in that window. Were you a sports fan of teams? Or were you so focused on, hey, I want to play football, I want to play basketball, I really don't have time to sit myself in front of a uh, television and watch a ball game? I, I, to be honest with you, Chuck, in, in the state of Iowa, there's no pro sports franchises. So, you know, you're really a fan of, of, the, of the universities in that state. Uh, a lot of University of Iowa fans, and, you know, in the case of a lot of people in central Iowa, specifically Ames, uh, it's Iowa State. And, and that's what you grow up watching, you know, the, the – the, the pro sports really weren't on, you know, you didn't have the access that you do now with all the cable channels. Uh, you know, you might catch this, I think at the time it was the CBS game or the NBC game of the week, and that's the only NBA basketball you got was that one game a week. Uh, you know, the guy that I really liked growing up was, was Jordan. And, you know, you, you, you grow up, you watch him, you see that athleticism. You just don't see in the state of Iowa uh, very often. And, uh, you know, it was really fun to watch and see that just that uh, unbelievable talent. Uh, in, in, in what he did for that Bulls uh, organization. Uh, you know, the, the team, uh, you know, that, uh, like I said, that, that you really like are, are the university teams. Uh, you know, but, yeah, it was more about the sports. It was out playing. You know, this is back in the day when you could play multiple sports, and I did that. You know, I loved Iowa State basketball, and I actually had a passion for Nebraska football uh, growing up because of my family uh, that, uh, that was still – I still have a lot of family in Nebraska, and my parents both being Huskers. Uh, I did have that passion for uh, for Nebraska football. So what made you say basketball's my thing, football I love, but I'm going this direction? Well, I, I did look at Nebraska for football. Uh, I, was, I was the player of the year in my state as, as a quarterback, and, you know, to get recruited by Tom Osborne was really cool. You know, he, Did he, he visit your home? Uh, I never came to the home, um, but I talked to him a lot. Uh, but, you know, I, it, basketball was uh, uh, was what I felt that I had the best chance for, for my future, and, and uh, you know, I made the right choice. Coach, you told us a story last year with Jeff Hornacek, who was a big star at Iowa State, now the head coach of the Knicks, about you as a ball boy and what happened in a particular ball game. Maybe you can share that with us. Yeah, I think they were playing, it was like one of those exhibition games, Marathon Oil or, or, uh, or Pella Windows or one of those teams uh, that you play in the exhibition season. And they used to sit the ball boys underneath the basket, which was uh, extremely dangerous, not only for the player, but for, for us that, that was sitting under there. And I remember Jeff, uh, he came down the floor, he had a layup and he started backpedaling and I couldn't get out of the way and he stepped on my foot and, uh, and rolled his ankle. And yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest feeling uh, to see Jeff Hornacek rolling around on the ground in pain and coming out and carrying him off the floor, and, and I was the reason for that. So what wasn't my finest moment. So you're, you, you have the base. Your father's a professor at Iowa State. 
you have uh, had the Kool-Aid, you're, you know, Iowa State 24-7. Did it ever cross your mind somewhere, I don't know whether it was George Raveling, Tom Davis, the head coach at that point in Iowa, that you would even think about taking a visit to Iowa City? Oh, no, absolutely. You know, Hayden Fry actually recruited me, and, you know, he, he was obviously, you know, you talk about Johnny Orr being a larger-life figure in Ames, same with Hayden uh, Fry in Iowa City. Uh, you know, so to get recruited by Hayden was 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 uh, was pretty cool to talk to him on the phone. But no, there was no chance I was going to the University of Iowa. And so you go to Iowa State, and we can talk about your career. But I want to talk about your wife for a moment. Did you meet her in high school or in college? I did meet her in high school. I was actually uh, I was a sophomore, and and uh, and she was a senior. And uh, you know, I was playing varsity football at the time. I, I made the varsity team as a sophomore, and. Uh, yeah, just kind of on a, on a whim, you know, as a friend, we, we, uh, she asked me to prom. And, uh, you know, everything went great. And, and, was, and she's a senior. She's a senior. And she's a sophomore. Yeah. And the reason I didn't ask her is because, I, I, you know, you couldn't. You had to be a junior or senior to ask. Uh, so I went to, we went to the prom, and then we started dating, and we, we've been together ever since. Okay, so, and I know you're a humble guy. I love dealing with you on a daily basis, Coach, and I'm not patronizing you. You're so good with the media. But you were a big star in high school. Okay, I mean, you were the guy. What high school was it? Was yeah. it Ames High? It was Ames, Ames High School. Okay, yeah. you were the guy, and you're heavily recruited in Nebraska, Stanford. You stayed home at Iowa State. So you go to Iowa State. What, was there a lot of pressure on you? Did you ever say, oh, gosh, you know, everyone knows me. I mean, like, I, where am I going with this? Uh, sure, there, there was some pressure. There, there's pressure on, on any college athlete. But, uh, you know, to stay home and, uh, you know, the, the way I looked at it, Chuck, it, it, for me, it, it was more about the support. And I saw how supportive that community was uh, growing up, uh, you know, for the, going all the way back to my Ames High School days and, and all the way through, uh, you know, to see the way that the fans supported Iowa State. And even, you know, back then the football team was, had, was really struggling. And, you know, you still f- found the stadium full and, and, you know, always cheered them on. Uh, you know, so that that's what it was for me. I, I knew the support was there, uh, regardless of how my career went, and uh, and really that's what it came down to. And and this was and again, I'm dating myself, but was this the Big Eight conference when you were playing? I that? was Big Eight. I was Big Eight all four years. I, I think it became the Big Twelve two years after after I left Iowa State. What what place um, when Iowa State would go on the road was the toughest? Not only in terms of um, X's and O's and games and whatnot, but I'm talking about as a visiting player. Oh, where they were just nasty and rude. Well, I'll say this. The loudest place, the most passionate place is Kansas. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But it's a respect, uh, respectful fan base. They, uh, you know, they cheer for their team. Uh, you know, they don't throw too many insults. Obviously, the, the, you know, a few of them do. Uh, you know, as far as the nastiest, uh, that's a good question. I'd say every other one <laughs> in, in, the, in the Big 8 conference back then. Oklahoma State had a great, great fan base, a great home court. Uh, that was before they put the addition on, and the ceiling was very low, and they had about 8,000 uh, seats, and that place was unbelievable. And the, the old cowboy mascot used to walk behind you the first time I was a freshman, and, and he walked right behind us and shot his little cap guns off, and it absolutely scared the hell out of me. So it's, uh, you know, it, it was a great conference for basketball. You know, it was back in Billy Tubbs' days, and, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, at Oklahoma, uh, Eddie Sutton at uh, Oklahoma State, Roy Williams at Kansas, mm. uh, you know, obviously Johnny, Norm Stewart at Missouri. Uh, you know, it was uh, it, it, it was a great conference, fun, fun conference to play in. At what point then, Coach, did you start saying to yourself, you know what, I wonder if I'm going to get a pro tryout, either get drafted or maybe go to some camp? Yeah, my first two years, I was fortunate to start, you know, the minute I stepped on campus. And, uh, you know, I, I, I played, uh, you know, kind of a, a reserve type role uh, with those first two teams. I played a lot of minutes, but 
Uh, I wasn't a focal point in the offense. We had two guards that were really, really good players, Justice Thigpen, Ron Bayless, and they got most of the shots. Uh, when they uh, graduated Iowa State, my junior year, I, I stepped in uh, to a much more prominent role in the offensive end and averaged about 20 points. Uh, and then my senior year, uh, I followed that up with another strong year, another another 20-point season. Uh, you know, it was always talked about as maybe a, a late second-round pick, uh, you know, most likely undrafted. Uh, and I actually went to the old uh, Moody Bible uh, mm-hmm. school, and, and uh, that's where they had the pre-draft camp back in the day. And I led the uh, led the Chicago camp in scoring. This was after a very poor performance uh, in the first Desert Classic uh, NBA uh, pre-draft camp. Uh, and then, you know, I just kind of heard and only did a couple workouts uh, for teams. Uh, you know, didn't know if I was going to get drafted and was thankful that I went to 52 uh, to the Pacers. And the great thing about that year, Chuck, is it was the year of the expansion draft in Vancouver and Toronto came mm-hmm. into existence. And that opened up 30 new jobs. And, and in the inspe- expansion draft, Byron Scott, a uh, great performer in some of those old Pacers playoff teams, was picked up by Vancouver, and that opened up one spot in the team. And I was competing with six other players, including uh, a guy named Damon Bailey, uh, who, if you remember, was on yep. the cover of Sports Illustrated in eighth grade, and Bobby Knight said he could have started That's for right, him. at 14 years at, young. At 14. And, you know, so... You know, not only am I competing against him, but in his home state where, you know, again, he was a god uh, in that state. So I had a great camp. I was in, in the best shape of my life. And I think I was second in the team in scoring in the preseason behind Reggie Miller that year and uh, earned that last spot in the team. And, and I was fortunate and enough. And who was the head coach? Uh, it was Larry Brown that year. Larry Brown. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so, Fred, where were you draft night? When you got drafted, what, what were you doing? I was sitting in my living room, and it was a very long night because I saw uh, players in the Big 8 that I knew I was better players than. I saw a couple of junior college kids got picked in front of me. Uh, so, yeah, I, w- I went into that, uh, into that camp with a, with a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, again, I got myself in the best shape of my life and, and uh, was, was very fortunate to make that team. Had you not been drafted, and let's say you, you would obviously received an invite from someone Let's say a pro career had not materialized. What would you be doing? That's a great question. I I, uh, I don't know. I, I you know I knew nothing about overseas basketball at the time. I, I may have tried to go over there and, and uh, you know try to earn a living uh, playing international basketball. Uh, I was actually the first pick of the Omaha Racers in the CBA uh, <laughs> that year, and there was a lockout that first year in the summer. And uh, you know they were really on me. Hey, you're not going to make that team. Come play for us. I said you're wrong. I'm going to make that team. Uh, but yeah, they, they were putting pressure on me to go try the CBA route, which I wasn't real thrilled about. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I had a great uh, internship and experience uh, in a brokerage firm with Robert W. Baird, and, and that was a company that uh, that I may have gone and looked to uh, uh, you know start a career there and, and get out of basketball. But you know, I was very, again, I was very fortunate uh, to get put into a spot where I could really learn the game. And you know, I was playing behind not only Reggie Miller but uh, Ricky Pierce and Eddie Johnson, uh, you know, former Illinois great and. Uh, you know, Mark Jackson, Rick Smiths were on that team. Chris Mullen came in that next year. Larry Bird uh, was my coach. But I was able to learn from some uh, real, real true pros, and, uh, and that certainly helped me on in my career. Define Reggie Miller for me. What kind of a guy is he? What kind of a teammate was he? He was the best. He, uh, he, he was a guy that really took me under his wing. And, you know, that first summer he was getting ready for the Olympic team, and I was getting ready for the summer league, and I worked out with Reggie every day. Uh, and then afterwards, we'd have lunch, and then you know my wife and I would go out to his house. He lived on Geist Reservoir, and he had, he had a uh, you know right a place right in the lake, and you know it was uh, it was great. It was fun to uh, you know to have that opportunity to to play against him. And I'll tell you what, not not a better way to learn the league than to come in and chase Reggie Miller around screens for two hours a day. Were you in awe of him, or Larry Bird, for that matter? I uh, mean, did you ever say to yourself, uh, okay, that's Larry Bird, <laughs> and that's Reggie Miller? 
Yeah, you know, at first, yeah. And, you know, I remember our first play, uh, preseason game, we played the Bulls. And, you know, there's Michael Jordan, and there's Rodman, and there's Pippen. <laughs> did you guard Jordan? Uh, I did a little bit. Did he trash talk preseason. a little bit? You no, know, I, I, I was made sure I was I was silent. <laughs> yeah, I tried not to breathe, just make sure I didn't something didn't come out of my mouth. But, uh, yeah, it, it, you are in a little bit of awe when you come into that league. I think all rookies experience that, you know, especially those uh, those Pacer teams. Because that's what you hear about Reggie Miller is he's a smack talk. Yeah, you know, you, you saw it the year before was the Spike Lee and, and Reggie uh, exchange. So you see that, uh, but he couldn't have been a, a better person, a better teammate. He's still a good friend of mine. Um, and uh, yeah, and then Larry Bird, he came in. I had Larry Brown my first two years. Larry Bird came in that third year, and you talk about some shooters. I mean, you have Reggie, Chris Mullen, who's the most pure shooter I've ever been around in my life, and Larry Bird. And to see those guys, those three play horse. The game never ended. <laughs> as a player, Fred, as an active player. Did you ever ask another player in the NBA for an autograph or for a piece of memorabilia? I got a, a uh, when LeBron James came in as a rookie, they were talking all about him, and uh, uh, Sam Cassell had some jerseys, and Sam said, hey, "Do you want to get you want me to get one of these signed?" I said, "Yeah, why not? Why not?" And that one, and then uh, uh, we got one from Michael as well when he was with the Wizards, came back to the United Center for the first time, he signed one as well. Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see how sophistication can be daring in the redesigned Lexus RX. Who's the most outrageous player you've ever been with? Uh, Teammate. Well, you know, I played... When I say that, I mean just like... Gregarious, off the wall, never know from day to day what you're getting. Yeah, you know, I played in in Minnesota with, uh, with three guys you could probably put in that category: Kevin Garnett, who, who was unbelievable, one of the one of the best leaders I've ever been around. You know, but also on that team were Latrell Sprewell and Sam Cassell. Uh, Sam is uh, probably the most interesting personality I've played with. Uh, you know, always had a smile on his face. And you talk about, you know, one of the best clutch performers I've ever been around. You know, Reggie was one of them, uh, but Sam was another one. And, you know, to be around that team uh, was so much fun. It was, it was the funnest year that I ever had uh, on the basketball court. Uh, you know, I, I truly think Sam Cassell, we, in, we were playing the uh, uh, Sacramento Kings in, in round two in the uh, Western Conference semis. Uh, beat beat them in seven. That was Stojakovic and Weber and Divots and, and Mike Bibby and Doug Christie. They had a great team. Uh, beat them in seven. Sam Cassell tore a muscle in his hip in game seven. And then we go on to lose to the Lakers uh, with Shaq and Kobe and Carl Malone and Gary Payton in six games in the Western Conference Finals. But if Sam not gotten hurt, uh, I, I thought we had a great chance to win a championship that year. Coach, I got to ask you about Garnett for a second because – you know, we obviously, and Bulls fans know his relationship with some of the Bulls, um, especially with Noah during the playoffs when Garnett was inactive and he got into it, you know, with, with Noah, who was playing sure. during the 2009 playoffs. But, I mean, everyone says he's a great guy, but we don't see that side of him. He's, he's one of those guys, Chuck, he's, uh, he's, he's great to have on your team. He's, he's, he's great as your teammate, but if you're playing against him, he, he's he's not fun, and he just he's always on Chuck. He's always wired. Uh, you know he's he'll he'll best thing I can say about Kevin. He'd play back to back games, forty five minutes a game. And he's the first guy in the gym the next morning on the practice court, and that rubs off onto everybody. I will say this: I was actually talking to Joe. We played uh, Minnesota in a preseason game in Ontario or in. Uh, uh, in Canada last yes, year, Winnipeg. In, in Winnipeg, yep. And uh, you know, Joe was talking to me a little bit, asked me about about KG, and and they actually ran into each other because uh, that was his hero, that, right? You know, he had a poster of him on the wall at the right. University and, of Florida, and then they had their issues, and then they and, had their issues. That's you know, right. but 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 you know, Joe said that you know Kevin came up to him 
uh, I think they saw each other in the hotel, and he's like, oh, I wonder what he's going to say. And he said, you know what, I love your passion. I respect the heck out of you. And I think that was really cool for Joe nice. Team to hear. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, how would you capsulize your days here in Chicago as a Bulls player? Uh, it was – those were some lean years, Chuck. Uh, you know, I went for my last year in Indiana, and that was a lockout year. It was a game where, where it was a 50-game season, and I wasn't playing a lot. And, you know, they uh, obviously we had a, a very good team. We actually lost to the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals that year. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw the opportunity. This was two years after, uh, you know, the breakup of, uh, of Michaels and, and Scotty and, 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 uh, and Tony and that team. And, uh, you know, so saw an opportunity to come here and, and get an opportunity to play and, and play a lot of minutes and, and hopefully solidify myself as, as a, a legitimate NBA player. I'd had good moments in Indiana, but, again, I fell out of the rotation. Uh, late in, in that year. My first year in Chicago, uh, that was Elton Brand and Ron Artest. That was that draft. And Elton averaged 20 and 10 as a rookie. Uh, and I played very well off of Elton. You know, he demanded a lot of double teams. And, and I had a good year. I was statistically my best year, averaging over nine points. And, and uh, you know, I had a good rebound and, and assist numbers. Uh, and I hurt my knee that year. Uh, you know, so I was limited to, to just uh, just under 40 games. Uh, you know, but, but really, you know, had a, had a good year. Uh, and then I signed a two-year deal and then signed a one-year deal. So the four years in, in Chicago uh, were, were good for me. Uh, you know, I went from a young player in Indiana, the second youngest player in the team, uh, to the second oldest player in the team. And then my, my third year, or sorry, it was my second year. I was 28 years old uh, in Chicago, and all of a sudden now I find myself in the oldest player in the team. Tony Kukoc had been traded, and Dickie Simpkins didn't come back. Uh, so I was the oldest player in the team at age 28. So that really helped. Uh, you know, with, with the leadership thing and, and with what, what I was doing as a head coach when I got to college and obviously with what I'm doing now, uh, you know, all those experiences help. Uh, and then to go from Chicago on to Minnesota uh, and get back with a, with a veteran team, uh, you know, where I could play a, a really good role, stand in the corner, make shots. That's what I did best. <laughs> you know, so, you know, all the, all the experiences. That's a, not a bad job. <laughs> so it was a great Here, job. You stay in the right pocket. We're going to give you a ball. You shoot a three. You know, when, on a losing team as a veteran player where you know because you're, you're, you're smart enough to figure it out that when you take the floor you want to win and you're a competitor but chances are that they got more players than you have more players but uh, did, were you ever in the car driving to the United Center saying to yourself yeah this isn't fun anymore there were some lean times. There's no doubt about it. You know, when you're, when you're getting your head beat in uh, on a nightly basis, I, you know, it's it's hard as a competitor. Uh, you know, which I've always taken a lot of pride in in being a competitive person. And you come in and you fight, you fight, you fight, and then late in the game, you just quite can't quite get over the hump uh, because of the talent gap uh, that was there. Uh, you know, but again, you try to take positives out of, out of everything. And, and again, that experience for me, you know, to play with. You know, going from Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson and Rick Smiths and the Davises uh, to that, that third year with Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. Now you're playing with 18-year-old kids that just got out of high school. Uh, mm. You know, we try to teach them, uh, you know, the right way. And, and uh, you know, in Tyson's case, you go on and win an NBA uh, championship. And, uh, you know, you play with some other good young talent. You see what they're doing now. Uh, you know, you, you hope you play a small part in their lives. So your, your career is doing well. You're married. You've got a family. And then all of a sudden... When did the heart issue come up? When did that surface? Yeah, so I found out about my heart condition. Uh, it was my second year in Indiana or in Minnesota. It was my tenth year in the league. And uh, did that come out of the blue, or yeah, did you really start did. feeling something? You know, we went into to actually set up our education funds for our kids. We had, we had the four kids at the time, and uh, you know, I needed to get some additional life insurance. 
Uh, that's what came out of that meeting with our financial advisor. You should really look to get another policy. So part of that policy was getting an echocardiogram. And they rejected me for that policy, but they didn't tell me why. And that was in January. And I went and played the rest of the season and uh, had a great year. I led the league in, in three-point uh, shooting that season, shot over 48% from the three-point line. Uh, and after the year was over, a team doctor sent me to the Mayo Clinic and said, you know, I don't think uh, there's much wrong with you. I, I had an abnormal aortic valve, and I'd known about that. And he said, but let's just make sure. So I went down, went through battery tests, uh, went and saw the uh, cardiologist, Dr. Jameer Tajik, that next morning, and never forget it. Uh, you know, after, uh, you know, saying hello and introducing ourselves, he said, you're lucky you're here. He said, you have a life-threatening condition, and you need open-heart surgery. And as a pro athlete, you know, sometimes you have that, that sense of invincibility. And, you know, I, I, I had no symptoms. I felt great, just had my best year as a pro. And now all of a sudden I'm told I have to uh, have this procedure that you normally associate with your grandparents. And, you know, I was really lucky. I, I was fortunate to find out about it. My aorta was silently growing and it would have gotten to a point where it would have ruptured and there would have been nothing you can do uh, about that. So, you know, I went in, had the open heart surgery fully expected to come back and play uh, after that surgery was done, after talking to my doctors. Uh, but I had complications. I had to get a pacemaker implanted. Uh, day I got home from surgery, I, I collapsed. I passed out. My wife found me, uh, passed out on the floor with a pool of blood coming out of my chin. I was on a blood thinner and rushed me back down to the emergency room. And, and uh, you know, I had that fluid. I had a bunch of fluid that accumulated in my in my heart, in the, in, in the sac that surrounds the heart, and had to have that extracted. And uh, you know, just it wasn't in the cards. I got myself back in shape. I didn't want uh, that, uh, you know, heart surgery to be what ended my career. I wanted it to be on my own terms. So I got myself back in shape. I visited Phoenix. Uh, I visited Detroit. Came to terms with the Suns, and uh, team doctors stepped in and said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. You know, I can't. I don't think there's a lot of risk, but I can't guarantee there's none. And, and that's what I needed to hear. And uh, you know, I decided to hang up my shoes and, and move on to the next phase of my life. How about just when you would look in the mirror and realize how fragile life is and how you went from, as an NBA player, big-time college star, high school star, and now you're, I don't want to say you're fighting for your life, but reality is that, you know what, I've got a hard situation and I'm lucky I'm here. Yeah, that, that's that's what that's at the end of the day what you say to yourself because it was hard. You know, you go through the why me, you, you go through all those different emotions. Yeah, you go through the denial period, uh, and then you get in the hospital. And you see the little kids in there, and, th- and that's what you feel bad for. You know, you, you, hey, look, I, I've lived out a dream. I played ten years in the NBA. I'm gonna be fine. But you know, you see those kids going through those operations. That, that, you know, that's the thing that, that tugs tugs at your heart. So. Um, yeah, it, 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 uh, it wasn't easy though, Chuck, you know, the recovery was hard. I lost about 25 pounds after the surgery. You know, I lost almost half my blood during that surgery. So it was a hard recovery for me, uh, but I do, I look in that mirror every day. I see my pacemaker. I see that scar right down the middle of my chest from my two open heart surgeries. And I do realize how fortunate I am. I hear my valve tick every time my heart beats, I hear it. And, you know, it's a reminder of how fortunate I am that I'm here right now. And, and so like right now, as we speak and we're in the season, I mean, uh, are you doing well? I mean, do you get monitored? How does that work? I feel great. I, I, I uh, you know, a couple of years ago when we lost uh, last game in the NCAA tournament, you know, it was a huge upset. You know, we had a great team. We just won the Big 12 tournament. Uh, you know, the only person that was happy uh, that we lost that game was my wife. And, you know, I remember coming home that next morning after we got beat in Louisville and, you know, I was down, I was in the dumps and she said, hey, 
I'm telling you, we're lucky. And, you know, I went in that, that next week and, and, uh, and had the echocardiogram. The doctor said it's time. And I got that valve replaced. And I, I, was, I struggled that year. I, I was tired uh, all the time. And, you know, after uh, the, the surgeon took the valve out, <clears throat> you know, he said, uh, yeah, that thing was done. That thing was deteriorated. So, you know, got the new valve put in. And, uh, you know, after the really couple months of, uh, of recovery and getting the sternum uh, feeling good again, I feel as good as I have in a long time. So, yeah, I feel, I feel great. I'm fortunate, to, you know, to be here. And, and where technology is today, uh, you know, I'm lucky to be able to do what I'm doing. When, when the Bulls called, um, is this, was this a slam dunk coach or did you want to say, you know what, I, I could be here in Ames for the rest of my life. I've got a great income. My kids are happy. This is where, you know, I met my wife. We're married the whole bit. Or were you kind of like ready for a challenge? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, all those th- things came in, in, into my mind. And it, it was a very difficult decision. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I guess when, when you're presented with these types of opportunities, uh, you know, I'd been offered uh, other jobs. And, you know, it just wasn't, uh, you know, they, they weren't jobs that, uh, you know, that were worth leaving Iowa State for. And, uh, you know, I'd, I've been offered a couple jobs that, that turned out to be unbelievable situations looking back on it. But, you know, I wasn't ready. I wanted my daughter to, to graduate first. And, you know, once she graduated, then, you know, I listened probably a little bit harder. Uh, you know, when this opportunity presented itself, uh, you know, again, it, it, was, uh, it was tough looking back on it, on what we were leaving behind. Uh, but, you know, again, my ultimate goal was to get to, to this level, to get back to this level. I spent 15 years of my life in the NBA, 10 as a player, won a transition year after surgery and four in the front office. And, you know, to get uh, back, you know, with the Bulls in, in this opportunity, a place that's always going to have an opportunity to sign uh, big-time free agents, uh, we jumped at the opportunity. And, and I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about the moves that, uh, that we made this offseason, and, uh, and I can't wait for us to get started. Coach, what are the biggest challenges you face as a pro coach that you didn't face in college? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll start by this. I, you know, the thing that, that I like most about it, we hit on this a little bit ago, Chuck, was, uh, you know, it's just basketball. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to focus on recruiting, which takes up so much of your time in college. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about your players if they go to class or not. You don't have to worry about the compliance. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, all the different things you have to do in the off season. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that, that I really like about the, about the, the, the pro game is it's, it's basketball. Uh, you know, as far as the challenges, there's challenges with anything you take. You know, it, it, there, there's guys I had uh, at Iowa State that, uh, that were challenging. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, the, the one thing you miss a little bit is just the overall impact on the lives you have uh, in college. These kids are leaving home for the first time, mm-hmm. and you try to be a good influence on them. And, you know, I got a letter from a kid I took a chance on and, and gave him a second opportunity. Uh, you know, he sent me something, uh, you know, the, the, a great letter saying that, you know, without you taking a chance on me, I, I have no idea where I'd be right now. I'd probably be back on the streets uh, in my hometown. And now he's having a successful career. Uh, playing basketball over in Europe. So, you know, to hear those types of things and to hear stories about, you know, kids that, you know, are working now that you keep relationships with former players, yeah, that's something that you miss. All right. Uh, three questions then. We'll wrap it up. How do you relieve stress? <laughs> uh, not well enough. I'll, I'll say that. I, I uh, you know, I'm a guy that, that hangs on to things probably too long. I, I did the same thing as a player. 
Uh, do losses a, stay with you as much in uh, pros uh, as they do in college, they even do. with 82 games? They do, but you have to get them out of your system. You have to get them out if you're going to prepare your team to uh, to be ready to fight the next the next battle. But, uh, yeah, when I go back, you know, in college, the one difference is you, a lot of times you'll have a week between games, and then that's, that's, that's hard. That, that's hard to get those games out of your system, at least when you play – you know, a night or two nights later, you can get that previous one out of your system. Uh, you know, as far as relieving stress, uh, you know, I try to do the best I can for my family because, you know, when I get home, uh, you know, they deserve my full attention. And, you know, I try to be with them and, you know, at least have a, either dinner or a late dinner and then go back and, and do work, uh, you know, after the kids go to bed. Uh, do your kids, because of the position you're in, um, do you insulate? Can they be insulated? Because, I mean, I'm sure they get guys saying, hey, come on, what happened last night? I mean, they got that at Iowa State. They're sure. probably getting with the Bulls. I mean, do they have that, that edge about them where they can just turn it on and off? Yeah, or? they do. And that's been, that's been hard with, uh, you know, especially with last season with, uh, you know, with not making it to the playoffs and, and uh, you know, not living up to the expectations. It, it, it was hard, uh, you know, at times, especially, you know, the kids – you know they watch TV. They they watch ESPN. They uh, you know they they have social media stuff, and you know it's hard. So social media is a cruel, cruel place. Yeah. And, you know it's uh, it's something that you know they they're uh, they're doing a good job with. You you just try to talk to them as much as you can and, and keep them positive and keep them going. But uh, yeah, sure, that's tough on any kid. Okay, finally, Fred Hoiberg, give me an idea. Of what you I mean, do you like music? And if so, what kind? Do you like movies? Do you like concerts? What do you, what would Fred Hoiberg like outside of basketball? You know what? I, the, the one thing that, uh, that I love to do is, you know, my boys are avid golfers. Uh, you know, my son Jack just, uh, just committed to play golf in college, and, uh, and he's, he's really excited about that. He's a senior right now, uh, and my twins, uh, 13-year-olds, are, are both single handicapped. Uh, wow. players right now so you know it's fun to get out and and uh and play with those guys that's kind of my outlet uh you know i don't i don't watch a lot of movies uh you know i don't uh, don't watch a don't watch a lot of tv uh you know but to be able to get out with those guys on the course is uh is something that i absolutely love to do uh don't get out as nearly as much as i'd like uh you know but that forces me at least to get away uh you know at times so do you have a date night with your wife uh we will get out some yeah and again that you have to do it you have yeah. to do it and um you know she's she's such a rock star she's been great she's always been there you know through the ups and downs and you know it set me straight at times when uh you know when when, when you get a little frustrated in, 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 about certain things so yeah you have to you have to find that time for your family it, it definitely is uh you know that's that's my stress reliever chuck is my family great coach we've enjoyed this thanks so much for sharing a, a lot a piece of your life and then some so we appreciate it thank you yeah thank you chuck lexus is a proud partner of the chicago bulls visit your chicago area northwest indiana lexus dealer to see how sophistication can be daring in the redesigned Lexus RX. Subscribe to Timeout Bulls on iTunes and Google Play. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Until next time, this is Chuck Swirsky. Thanks for listening to Timeout Bulls.